This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. So this really Back out to Smart, fakes the pass all the time, three, bang! It's William Street, mobs it up to Robert Williams! Should he go? Taylor Brown, Tatum, Durant, the long reach, Tatum, crossover, pull-up jumper, it's Hello and welcome to the Celtics Reddit Podcast. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Joe is back on the pod. Joe, aka Nosegrows McFly. Joe, how you doing, sir? Welcome back. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Thanks for uh, thanks for letting me back on and my um, part-time <laughs> capacity. I'm sort of like the Kyrie Irving, I feel like, of the uh, Celtics Reddit Podcast at the minute, eh? Playing the road <laughs> games. <laughs> yeah, playing the road games. Um, that's right. Although that's that's now changing. So uh, should we be expecting you back on a more full time basis, Joe? <laughs> As Kyrie goes, so do I. Yeah, <laughs> no. Nah, the um, the <laughs> Ben's loosened the vex mandates for um, Celtics Reddit podcasters. So I've been allowed. <laughs> we allowed thought it was about time. <laughs> Joe, it's been actually since February 6th was the last time that we had you on. It was after a win against the Magic. And at that point, you know, we were we were starting to talk about, you know, hey, the Celtics are looking good. It's about time. But we weren't really getting carried away with it at that point. So since then, we've got some post-February 6th stats for you. Uh, the Celtics are 17-3. and three. Fourth in threes made per game, sixth in assists per game, first in defensive rating, first in offensive rating, and therefore first in net rating, second in assist to turnover ratio, fourth in true shooting percentage. Um, and, you know, there's obviously, I've, I've um, minimized the amount of stats I'm throwing out. You can go down the list and they're sort of dominating in, in every statistical category. It's fair to say the team's trajectory has changed since the last time we spoke, Joe. How sold are you on the idea that this team is a legitimate title contender right now this season? I mean, it's pretty hard to fight the instinct that I had, like watching the Jazz, and you're just like, this is just demolition job, eh? Like, mm, yeah. You know, like it was pretty hard to fight the, pardon me, um, it's pretty hard to fight the thought, like, Shivers, I think I'm watching the best team in the league. Um, you know, Back on February, we hadn't beat anyone. Like, we hadn't, you know. Um, but now we have beat a lot of people, you know. Like, how much did we beat Memphis by again? We absolutely, didn't we smack them by 20? You know, it's just it was something, something like that. Doing a quick Google search, yeah. But, I mean, it was, it was decisive. Yeah. Um, uh, Google has just brought me up every result other than the score. Thanks, Google. Yeah, shot um, Google. So I, I don't have the exact result there, but it, it was definitely decisive by the end. Yeah. Um, so you know that, that that's sort of out. I think we've we've got a obviously like I've, I think I'm. I feel like I get the twenty game sample size rule thrown at me since I like to use it. And and if you <laughs> and and obviously a twenty game sample size shows that the, if you do something for twenty games in a row, like that's probably probably what you are. Yep. Um. So yeah. So I think like it's a good time to be a Celtics fan. 
Um, and I'm really enjoying the team, as are we all. You know, you know, we're enjoying the team when we start like <laughs> we start doing those those kind of hey, look, a little bit teenage girl fan things. You know, where we're like, <laughs> oh my gosh, the vibes are so cool, and like yeah. I can't blame people. Like it's not, it's, you-, you know. Are you like the Beatles fan at Shea Stadium, like screaming out the performance? Are you at that level of, of hype for this team? <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, were you in 2008? Are you capable of getting to that level? Mate, in 2008, oh, man. I want to pull out that ticket. I got the got the uh, Game 6 ticket. That was a euphoric experience. Mm. Um, yeah. No, I was definitely, I definitely, uh, you know, sort of, let my uh, inhibitions down a bit <laughs> on that particular night, but um, yep. No, there's look. I think I guess I, I'd want to make one overriding message, and that's that as a fan, you know, only only one team wins a championship, right? So right now we're in the stretch with the Celtics. They're playing the best in the league. They've done it for a couple of months. Enjoy it for what it is. Like first and foremost, make sure you kind of. Enjoy this moment. It can't be all about winning the championship. I don't think. I, maybe I go backwards and forwards in that. But don't you reckon, Ben? Like, if 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 you know, if you have to win the championship to enjoy being a fan, yeah. then a moment like this may not count in the scheme of winning the championship. But this is great. I'm really enjoying it. It's great watching them beat the brakes off teams. Yeah, yes and no. We've had this conversation, I feel like, a bunch of times since we started the pod and probably would have if we were doing the pod throughout the IT years as well, that like, yeah, you know, the championship's not everything. What you want is a team that you can love and that's fun to cheer for and you can feel invested in and, and ride or die, but ultimately die because there's no chance of winning the championship. Now, I feel like there is a chance of winning the championship and therefore, like, to borrow a term from Jalen Brown, my energy has shifted towards title hopes and I feel... Like, we're in the best chance since 2008. There's a post here on the sub by Reddit user I'm the King Sama who said, it's the best I've felt about our title chances since the big three. And just to quickly summarize their post, basically they're saying that this team has a solid nine-man rotation. Most of the guys have solid playoff reps. The Jays, you know, they were growing and developing in our prior runs, but now they're entering their primes at least and have that much-needed playoff experience. So, yeah, Joe, like, I, I agree with you, but then suddenly when, like, the, the title's there and we're playing this well at almost the right time, I don't know, like, don't you feel like it's it's kind of there to be seized? Especially with, like, Al Horford, the Al Horford portion of this window is going to shut very soon, so it kind of feels like we've got to go grab it while we can. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, at, like, it is open-ish, you know? It's a pretty open, um, pretty open race. And we're we're as like I think we're as as at our best as good as anybody, um, but I guess I still want to like Ben like probably return to a sort of a, a recurring theme in our conversation that your happiness you know as a fan is kind of a function of it's like a positive difference between expectation and reality, right? Absolutely. So yes. part of the reason why we're enjoying this so much is because we our our expectations were like massively calibrated downwards in the first, you know, the, well, what was it? Let's call it the first like 40 two games months, of the basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I remember like when we were talking, um, I, I don't, I think I'm telling the truth. <laughs> this is certainly what I believed at the time. 
I believe, like, hey, Tatum's shooting's going to return to normal. And I thought we were going to track for probably around 43, 44 wins. So, well, we're at 46. So, of course, I'm happy, you know. Um, but, you know, there's a, I think there is a, actually a danger in, like, letting hopes turn into expectations for a, for a title. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, like, I, I don't want, I don't want that vibe again in my life, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think the, the consensus among fans, I don't intend to speak for everyone is that the, we don't expect to win the title, but we expect to be well and truly in the mix to win a title, you know, as opposed to like, oh, you know, la- after last year, a second round exit would be, you know, a the success metric for this season. Now, I mean, I need to be careful not to put an expectation on it, but I just expect us to, to put up a really good you have fight. You, you have expectations whether you verbalize them or not. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's just hard to, it's hard to say because once you lay those expectations out there, then you risk falling short of them. Uh, but it's but hard you to- them. You have them, Ben. You can't, you can't- <laughs> You're going to make me say them. it, Joe. Yeah, I'm <laughs> going to make you say it. it. I just, I, I, it's so hard and you kind of touched on it. It's so hard to look at, you know, this team and, you know, they've beaten the pants off everybody. It's, it's so hard to think about, you know, if they've got any weaknesses that'll be exploited during the playoffs. I don't know. Maybe we can get to that. They're just really killing everybody. It's, it's difficult to imagine them losing at this point. Like, will they lose again? (laughs) Like, it's crazy. So I, I I do expect them. To probably, if I, if I want to put like a, a spe- some specificity around my expectations, for them to at least make the Eastern Conference Finals and then certainly put up a fight in that arena and then potentially make the finals as well. And then the Suns are incredible and uh, that's a conversation for another podcast. But I mean, expectations are rightfully high. I think it's at this point, it's, it's impossible not to have very high expectations. But I understand like not wanting to be burnt again, Joe. So there's no right or wrong answer here. It's not so much it's not so much that it's like um well no no I guess I guess it is there is a sort of element of you know preservation of your psyche as a fan you know that you, yeah, you're trying definitely. to achieve but it's not even so much that I'm just trying to um you know ver- verbally process what we think it's going to look like actually put it out there and then you know there's no you know, retrospective kind of apologies if it falls short of that. So so right now, okay, you will be disappointed if the team doesn't make the Eastern Conference Finals. 100%. You will yes. be, you know. Yep. So if the team- What, had, you? Well, well, hey. Well, hey, Ben. <laughs> you can you can you can you can grill me for like but I, I wanna I wanna you know put the microscope on you. You can have some couch time then. Um <laughs> you know, like you you'll be disappointed if that doesn't happen. So if it's like a really close second round exit, like it's a down to the wire seven game sort of scenario like Brooklyn and um Brooklyn and Milwaukee last year, would you be dis- would you be disappointed if we were, you know, if if Jason Tatum's foot was on the line, you know, for the game winner, and we went to overtime and lost in overtime, in yeah, but the basis the the basis for that disappointment would be different. Like, say we lose to the Nets in the second round or the Bucks or whatever, and it's because KD has a historic, you know, playoff run 
then I'm disappointed because we were the victim of that as opposed to being disappointed because we played poorly, you know? So, there's like different layers of disappointment there, if that makes sense. Yep. But um, <laughs> but to, to, to me, you're saying like I have expectations. I have a rough idea that, you know, the team might make the Eastern, you know, the Eastern Conference Finals. But there's certain conditions under which I actually wouldn't necessarily like expect them to make the finals. You know, I wouldn't yes. necessarily expect them to make the finals if they had to play like honestly one of Milwaukee or Brooklyn in the second round. Sure, I like I wouldn't like outright expect them to win those two series personally. You know, if they lost to um, uh, Toronto, I, if they well, if they, well, actually Toronto scares me, man. Like, they do, yeah. They scare. We're going to get to that in a little bit, but there, there are some matchups out there that I freak me out. I don't want that, man. I want Cleveland. <laughs> I want Chicago. Happy to take Chicago. I do not want Toronto, man. They're going to give us yeah. problems. Yeah. Um, so I guess what I'm, um, you know, what I'm trying to do here, Ben, is I'm trying to like get down to our actual expectations, you know. And so I'm going to say that your actual expectation is not Eastern Conference Finals, you know. Your expectation is very, very contingent on who we actually match up against, right? Yeah, yes. But the the sort of number of situations or circumstances that I think exist that could make us fall short of my expectation, I think they're dwindling rapidly. And I think that's what I'm so excited about is like I'm running out of reasons to not hype this team for a finals appearance or an Eastern Conference finals appearance. Like, I think we could probably agree on that, Joe. Like, the, the amount of things, the amount of detractors for this team are rapidly decreasing. Am yeah, I wrong? it's a really good team. And so, that's why this is my expectations. My expectations are that they go to at least seven games against one, they against either Brooklyn or Milwaukee. Okay, those that's my expectations. A loss in any other series as a disappointment, heat included. I think we're better sure. than them. Um, I think that's fair. And and um, so we might meet, we might catch a bad draw, you know, and meet Brooklyn. Brooklyn, you know, let's say we're the, let's say we're the, uh, far out, let's say we're the four seed, right? And Brooklyn upsets Milwaukee in round one and we lose to Brooklyn in round two. I can't be disappointed in that, man. Like, you know, I think we've all got to be realistic about how good they're going to be. You know, like yeah, I don't know. Like, have you looked at the the numbers for the Kyrie Durant Nets over the past fifteen? Like, they're basically a five hundred team over a, a recent stretch. Like, they they haven't been that good. And like, yes, it's the playoffs, and Kyrie and Durant they're going to ISO, they're going to hit shots, but like they're going up against this insane switching Celtics defense. We don't even know. Maybe maybe Udoka will fall short of expectations here, but we don't know what Udoka and his staff are like or are capable of yet as far as scheming against teams in a long-term playoff series. Like, we don't have all the all the facts there. But I don't know. Like, if, if I were the Nets or the Bucks, I, the Celtics are probably the team that I would fear most going up against. So, I don't know. I just, oh, I don't, absolutely. particularly the Nets, less so the Bucks, but the, the Nets don't scare me that much. Nah, man, don't, don't get it twisted, man. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say these are the magic three words for me right now. You know, in my little when I get on my little imaginary basketball soapbox, low variance offense. Repeat sure. it after me: low variance offense. The Nets have it 
that in spades. Low variance offense is just so, so useful, man. Like I, I, I honestly think it's, if I could pick one thing to have in a, in a player, that's what it would be. Um, and they've got Durant, man. They've got the lowest variance offense there is. And they are always going to be in games. And when it gets tight, and this is this is yeah. my caveat on the Celtics, you know. If you were to if you were to take our record in games where our win probability had exceeded ninety percent, I don't know what it is. I mean, Spoons can probably help us out on that. Um, you know, we'd probably have won. I don't know. We've probably we've probably handed over four or five games. I'm I'm guessing here. I might be wrong. It could be less. Um. You know, because we have won a lot of games where the win probability exceeded ninety percent too, because <laughs> we, you know, yeah. got out by twenty. But um, if you were to, if you take those games right, okay, we we would have would have a lot better record right now. But you can't throw that out like those. <laughs> I just don't think those psychological wounds are like completely healed. I think, like, man, I felt it against Detroit. I felt it against Dallas. You know, when things get tight, things can still go wrong. I still feel nervous when the lead starts getting down to 12 now. <laughs> yeah, I know what you well, mean. Yeah, when, go, it, when it got down to like 20 against the Jazz, I was freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, snowballs. Funny, it? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It, I, I hear you. I do hear you, Joe. I just, um, this is why I was looking so much forward to this podcast because- I've been sort of running away with my feelings. I'm sure most of us have been, you know, over the last couple of weeks. And I knew that we were going to have like a, a serious heart to heart about where we're truly at and what's possible. But I want you to enjoy it. I want all fans to enjoy it because. Oh, absolutely. It, it, yeah. Like, you know, you're not guaranteed tomorrow, you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is great. We're playing the best basketball in the league. We've got to just enjoy it for what it is. But. There are there is enough in our kind of there are enough skeletons in our closet um to to you know to give me pause about saying, Oh, we're gonna win it all, even though we look like the best team. Like we honestly look the like the best team in basketball playing against Utah. But like there are reasons that that there are reasons to give me pause, particularly in a particularly in situations where the game is close, because I think our offense uh, produces higher variance results than other teams. And yeah. I don't know that because, man, I wish I could get a stat on that. You know, who's the lo- what's the lowest variance offensive team around? You know, what's the lowest variance? Like, I'm, I'm going to go off on a tangent yeah. here, but averages are no, so overrated. <laughs> averages are so overrated in basketball. And you know it when you play, you know? Like, you know when you play when you get a reliable source of offense you know how it just calms you down, and that psychology, mm-hmm. the, the effect that has on everything else. You know, yeah. Um, and and we never talk about variance. We never talk about variance. It's always mean. There's a whole world of statistics out there, and variance doesn't seem to be among them. It's a, it's outcast. It's it's alien. It's on <laughs> Nauru. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to get some necessary data points on that in the playoffs for this iteration of the Celtics. Joe, um, are you familiar with the term defense wins championships? <laughs> oh, no. Well, I no. Just, what does that mean? Well, well, I want to, well it, it means uh, I think in the last, um, I think it's since 2001 that 
all titles team all title teams were at least eleventh in defensive efficiency. So you need a solid defense uh, to win a title. And there's a comment on uh, Twitter from Evan Valenti, who's a um, I think a podcast host. I'm not sure which podcast. Basically, they said they've got Mike Gorman coming up on an episode shortly, uh, but they'll share something that Mike said that they found interesting. Uh, and that is that at one point during the game, Donovan Mitchell went over to D Wade, Dwayne Wade, and told him, "We can't figure out what the Celtics are doing defensively. We don't have a clue." And I guess Gorman overheard that. And the Jazz, I think, are the best offensive team, at least statistically, and not factoring in variance, Joe. Um, <laughs> currently, like that's that's something, right? That the best offensive team can't get a read on what the Celtics defense is throwing at them with all the scouting, with all the sample size of what the Celtics have been doing for a while now. Oh, There's something there, right? Oh, for sure. Like, this is... Look, the, the the team at its best is clearly capable of being the best team in the NBA. Like, it's statistically just done it. You know, and even though I'm ranting and raving about variance versus, you know, average <laughs> or mean, you know, like, it's... Those numbers don't lie. You can't have those numbers over that period of time and, and them lie. Um, sure. It says what they can be, but you all you know that when you get in the middle of a of a series, right, things change, eh? You know, absolutely. Who yep. who actually is the best team? You know, is not just a function of net rating. You know, it's really, really indicative, right? And it's strongly correlative, but it's not. It's it, it's just not ultimately like when it gets to squeaky bum time. Like net rating doesn't carry the day, man. It doesn't. You know? Yeah. Well, let's let's transition a little bit because this might help some people who are concerned about that, like yourself, um, rest uh, at ease. So, drilling down into some players individually. So, Jason Tatum, Joe, you, you've always been there for us when we needed you, like you have been in the first <laughs> 10 minutes here. Like, when we get a little too hyped about Tatum... You know, in the past, it's been like, well, hang on, he's inconsistent. You can't take over games. He wasn't able to finish with his left hand. Unsteady shot profile. Too high variance. I have written here in my notes, Joe. <laughs> uh, you know, all of those points, and I'm sure many more that I'm forgetting, that all valid points up until recently, maybe. Suddenly now we have 2022 Jason Tatum scoring from everywhere. Huge leap in playmaking ability. There's a clear leadership aspect to him. Basically an elite two-way player leading his team to a boatload of blowout wins. And I've got some more post-February 6 stats for you here, Joe. So Tatum, 30 points per game on 50% from the floor, 41% from three, seven free throw attempts per game, seven boards, five assists, and the best individual defensive rating and net rating of all players averaging more than 30 minutes per game. Has this stretch from Tatum altered your perception? I mean, it sounds like maybe not based on your expectations for the playoffs. I'm starting to believe that he can be a guy who can execute for us in, in crunch time uh, and get us those much-needed buckets when the game slows down based on what we've seen. Are you starting to sort of change your perception of, of Tatum based on what we've seen lately? I mean, there's a phrasing question there, right? Like, can he be <laughs> X? Like, can he be, can he be the person who delivers and saves the day, right? Like, I'll flip it out. I'll flip it around. Can he be the guy... That starts to rely on a on a sidestep three when things aren't going well, and shoots and shoots two for ten. Can he be that guy? Uh, does he need to be to flip it back at you, Joe? Like, is he even jacking that shot very often now? Like, he's not really. No, he's not. Like, 
I'm re- like I've really enjoyed watching him play. I what I'm trying to say is there's you know when you're thinking about possible outcomes, remember to consider the downsides, the down you know the the possible downside outcomes as well. And Hard for me to do, but I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> but but it is possible. Like for me, yeah. With Tatum, um, okay, good good bits first. Like I want to actually be specific about what I've I've noticed with Tatum. Tatum I always think about tempo when I'm watching him. It's speed of decision making, eh? And I love the tempo he's playing with right now. Um, it's not always about doing something quickly. It's knowing what you want to do quickly. And one thing we've absolutely seen less of, and it was actually hilarious. I think it was against OKC. Um, he kind of went into his, you know, between the legs, one, two, three, four, and Scal yeah, goes. Here we go. Here we go. Here, here comes a step back. Here comes a step back. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he, he passed. I forget who was. It's kind of a weird kind of um, alignment they had, but he part he, he passed and tried to do a little give and go. But like, if I never see another side step through from him again, I'm fine with it. Totally, I, I don't like it. From I I think it's low variance, you know. But it's also he has a nature as a player, and that nature, you know, if things stop going well, okay, watch out. That can still come back up, you know. So, um, what have I noticed from him? There's been this, uh, people talk about the jump and playmaking, and there's been some awesome dimes like that. One, he had to Robert Williams right at the end of the shot clock. Um, yeah. Like, like sort of was, the wraparound. Yeah, yeah. It was a bounce, it was a one-handed bounce pass. It was like um, really late clock. And um, like decision-making is not all about tempo. Generally, quicker is better, I think. But there was an example where patience made that opportunity happen. Full credit to him. Yep. Left hand, he's finishing way more with his left hand. I've definitely noticed that. Um, um, but the the jump in playmaking, I think, I don't know, this is just me, and I could be wrong. I'm an amateur on this stuff. But he's getting trapped a lot, and the Celtics, as I think Jared Weiss has pointed it out, I didn't notice it till he pointed it out because I'm an amateur. But he was like, oh, they're just using the point guard as the screener. So when the double comes, the point guard pops out and the point guard plays um, four on three, right? That's yep. a real simple read. It's great that he's making it. It's a simple read. Um, he can probably keep doing that, but what if Smart lets him down? You know, what if Pritchard goes cold for a little bit? Just we'll see if he keeps trusting them through some, through you know, some, ad, I guess, adversarial um, kind of situations or situations where we've got a bit of adversity. Because that's where mm-hmm. your true nature as a player, I think, kind of comes out. Like, me, when I play, I don't know, Ben, are you the kind of guy who, when things are going bad, you just start, right, I'm going to shoot it? How do you play? I don't actually think you would, but how do you play? What's your kind of uh Well, I mean, at the Redfern C-grade comp that I play in two nights a week, <laughs> I, uh, I'm a pass-first point guard, so I'm, I'm trying to set up my teammates. The other night, though, we had a close game, and uh, I came off a pick and, and drilled a mid-range jumper, and we won the game. So I wasn't afraid to take that shot. Um, didn't know I had that in me at the time, but uh, I, I don't know if that answers your question at all. But um, the, John Stockton. Uh, to talk about variance, it's an extremely high variance league in general, and that the, the talent level is in extremely low, myself well, included. But but like you know, even in Redfern C grade, there's high pressure moments, right? In a game, there's moments where you <laughs> sure. really can comp- you you're just you know, the competitive juices are flowing just the same. And I guarantee 
you're going to revert to what you're comfortable doing. So I, you probably aren't looking to break down a defense and take a shot. So if a team needs that, you're probably not that guy. I'm a little bit like that. Reason, one of the reasons I like really relate to Grant Williams, and he's, he's my second favorite player, is because we're quite similar. After Marcus. We're, after Marcus. We're quite, we're quite similar in how we play. Like I recognize a lot of what he does. A lot of his weaknesses are my weaknesses. Um, you know, it, if like I can shoot it, you know, I can shoot it under pressure. But like, man, if you need me to create something off dribble one on one, I am not your guy. I can't. Like, sure. I'm not going to go to that under pressure. Um, I tend to. I probably tend to tend to pass it unless it's a set. Sh- you know. Anyway, whatever. No one actually cares about what I'm what I play like. But what I'm trying to point out is, <laughs> Jason Tatum has this innate. He has a nature like every player does, and he's fighting against his nature, you know, a little bit right now, and it's for the better of the team, but just yeah. watch out. Just watch out. It might happen. Hey, look, it may not. Over time, he's going to mature and he's going to grow, and like we all do as humans, we sort of learn to suppress our, you know, our base instinct, right, and and we, we make an adult decision. And I guess as you go into basketball adulthood, similar things that happen. But- sure. You know, under pressure, like the little child in us comes out, eh? And under basketball pressure, the basketball child comes out in us. Um, yeah. Yep. What do you make of that? I agree. Well, yeah, it, it may or it may not. Like you said, I think it's 50-50 because we are seeing this maturation of, of Jason Tatum and his game. I I think that I mean, it's clear that not only he but the rest of the team buy in to just like the the full, the basketball philosophy that Ime Udoka is is preaching, and as well in terms of Marcus Smart as the screener, I think we might see more of that action generally throughout the regular season and, and not in crunch time. And and one thing is for certain, we haven't seen crunch time really in a while outside of the Mavs game. Mm. I think I can't remember who said or wrote this it was someone on that sort of zach Lowe tier of of analysts that in the playoffs we're likely to see way more of Jalen brown as the screener so when the double comes and you pop the ball out suddenly it's to a much more elite at least shot creator not necessarily playmaker uh in Jalen brown who will then have some space to work and jaylen has been fantastic like not to segue too much here but he was great in that Memphis game. Then he sprained his ankle, came back, had a sort of slow run of things as he was healing again and now seems to be back to that level again. Um, so, I, I, you know, a couple of things there. Like, I, first of all, I think that we are seeing Jason Tatum mature at a very young age. And I, I don't think that we're necessarily going to have to rely on that specific action in the playoffs all the time as far as Marcus Smart being the screener and having to initiate uh, when Tatum passes out of that double. So... Uh, it's going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to the playoffs. But, you know, as far as, Joe, I just want to make sure I, I get your answer here. Your perception of Jason Tatum and, like, who he can be, like, can he lead a team through the playoffs? Um, is he the guy on a championship team? Has he changed your perception there at all? I feel like another way of asking that question is um, is asking, can he be Kevin Durant? Is is he that level of player? Can he be Chauncey Billups as part of a series of great players on the O four Pistons? Like, does he need to be Kevin Durant? Um, most teams need a Kevin Durant. <laughs> but Kevin like, Durant, there's not many Kevin Durants. No, there's not a lot. 
But you know, just it's just the it's just the nature of it. Like I hate that NBA basketball is this way, but it undeniably is. Like there's just like you know what I mean. Like there is just significant differences as you go up the tiers. You know, between like the reality bending players and the really really good all stars. There's a difference, man. Um, yeah. And and do I like is my honest expectation of Tatum that he is that guy? I mean, come on. Like we all know the like there is is there really any Celtics fans out there saying, Hey, Tatum's the next like he's he's the next Durant. Is there really anybody out there that's saying I don't that? I don't think so, but they might be saying he's the next Kawhi. Like he he's you know, he's he's trending in that level. I think it's it's hard to argue that at this point. Like all the stats, the eye test, the the results, like he, the youth, the, the age at which he's displaying this, like he's absolutely trending in that direction. No one reaches the heights of Kevin Durant. That's so rare. He's up there with like LeBron and, and MJ and like those guys. But like Kawhi and people who are good enough to win championships in the right window, I, I think Tatum's at, at the very least, you could have to say from what we've seen lately, he's he's looks to be trending in that direction. Yeah. I, look, I mean, this is just... I'm it's I'm gonna be so happy to be wrong, you know, about this if I am wrong, eh? Um But my honest expectation of him is not that he is that guy. He's not Kevin Durant. And you look, you just run back through it, right? Like who wins? Right? We had Milwaukee, LeBron, for that we had Curry and well, we had Kawhi. I think you're underselling Kawhi's skills, but hey, look, maybe I'm kind of retroactively assigning him a status because he won a championship. But like, we knew he was that guy when this, when the, when the Raptors traded for him, right? Like, True. He was definitely considered on that level. Um, you know, you just keep going back. Before that, you know, Curry and Durant won it twice. Before that, LeBron. Before that, Curry. Before that, well, you had you had the Spurs. Spurs is a bit sui generis. Um, at now, that point in their in their tenure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, I, so what this is kind of you know, as I'm thinking, kind of a little extemporaneously, um, what that sort of says is it just it just says, look, hey, it's not impossible to win without one of those elite guys, but you're always going to be competing against one of those elite guys. Yeah, you know. And like the 2014 Spurs, right? So it means that you, you you have to have a team that fits together, and and that's my thing around Tatum. He's a like a really really good player, maybe great, you know. But we're always going to have to have a team that fits around him. It's not going to be like like we kind of like right now. I kind of feel like we need to be beating teams by 20 yeah. <laughs> in order to be safe. <laughs> I I still I still don't trust us in close games that much. Yeah. You know? We did great against Brooklyn. Um, the Nuggets game at home, that was a good one. Um, but we haven't had a lot, hey, you know? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like we have. I feel like we're at this point, you know, like we've had many good performances against many good teams under what? a variety of circumstances. Oh, look, we've had heaps of great performances against teams. Don't get me wrong. But how, long, how, many, how many times has the game been close down the stretch? Not that yeah, I mean, once against the Mavs and we lost. So I, I definitely get your point. Pistons, um, the Pistons yeah, lost yep. close down the stretch. Um, sure, lost to the Pacers. Yeah. So, yeah, 
I just it's not obvious to me that both the Celtics and Tatum are just going to leap into the first tier. You know, that elite sure. tier. Um, I don't consider Tatum a reality bender. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Fair enough. Hey, let me let me fire off a couple of Reddit comments here very quickly. So Tatum is God one zero two two. I'm sure they're not biased at all. Says the main thing is that Tatum is good enough now to be the best player on a championship team, which we've discussed. Uh, I don't care if you think he's the fourth best player in the NBA or the tenth. I'm convinced we can win the chip with him leading us. So. A variety of opinions on the matter. A comment from Mandalorian Michael. They say, if he keeps playing like he has and we keep winning and squeeze into the number one seed by the end, which is possible, we're one game back now, I don't see how he wouldn't be a top contender for MVP. Uh, Joe, (laughs) I feel like I know (laughs) your answer to this based on everything we've discussed, but do you feel like there's an outside chance that he wins MVP this season? Like, Say we finish the first seed. We win out. Maybe we lose two games, but we're a clear first seed in the East. And, and based on how the season started and his stats, um, you know, since then, is there any is there any way that he could go from where we are now to winning MVP by the end of the season? Um. So the question of can he win MVP? I mean, anyone can win MVP if the narrative sort of swings in their favor. You know. Um. Well, is it is it already won by someone else at this point, or can Tatum still snatch it? I mean, I'm a Jokic fanboy, but um, I think what he's did what dunk he on does him. Is, sorry, he did. He, he did dunk did. on him. He got him pretty good. He got him <laughs> got pretty him. good. Got him. Got him. Yes. Um, I think. Um, look, I think he can definitely get votes for it. So if he can get votes for it, you can win it conceivably, right? Um. I see Tatum as Paul George, maybe a bit better. You know, Paul George is an awesome player. You could win a championship with Paul George, but the circumstances have to be right, you know? Yep. Um, I think. Um, and Paul George had a – it was top three MVP voting that year – that last year in OKC, I think. Is that right? Mm-hmm. He had an amazing year, right? Sounds about right. Yeah. So yep. uh, this year, like, could he – I mean, yep, sure. I think um, we've had pretty similar record to the Mavs. Um, we're starting to pull ahead a little bit now, but you know, I think you can make a similar argument for Luca, um, who I think is. If you said would I trade Luca for straight up for Tatum, yes, yes I would. Um, uh, so I think he's better. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Hey, look, it'd be cool. You know, like if we won out our last what nine games here. Um, I mean, that's pr- pretty cool. It's pretty tough. If we win out, we'll probably be the one seed, which is interesting because um, like that means that the top, you know what I mean? What what do we got? What How many wins have we got right now? Like 46? It means like- I think so. Yeah. Like I just 50. love that you're like, yeah, it'd be pretty cool. It's like, dude, that would be amazing. Like that would be, that would be <laughs> that the would be best so thing good. that happened to me this year. <laughs> like <laughs> that would be, be so, you're getting married. So, you know, you, you can't say that, but you know, it, it would be so freaking good if we won out and took the one seed and Tatum was like, even just in that, like, oh, you know, he didn't win MVP, but he was this close. That would be so so validating. That would be, that would be amazing. I think it would be I'd love better it. than pretty cool. That'd be love. I'd love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look, I'm a fa- like, I am a fan too. Like, I feel like I'm, I, I, I don't want to make, like, do I sound like a hater? No, no, no. This what we've got here, Joe. This dynamic—it's a, it's a healthy balance. It's a okay. good conversation. So you, you're good. <laughs> Thanks. Um, 
That would be awesome. Like, I'd love it. It'd be, it's quite funny to think that 55 games is going to definitely win the, the East. That's mm-hmm. a low number, eh? That's a yeah. super low number. Yep. Um, Competitive right now. Yeah. I think, you know, people who say that Devin Booker should have more of a look in, I've, got, I've always got a lot of sympathy. Like, when a team is so much better than every other team in the league over the course of the season, mm-hmm. um, then I feel like that does warrant some consideration. Like, because the Suns are going to win like 65 games, maybe 66, yep. something like that. It's going to be way, they're going to lap the field, you know? Um, so why shouldn't they? Maybe, <laughs> I, I guess I should be making the argument for Tatum if I'm a Celtics fan, but like, why shouldn't, why shouldn't Devin Booker <laughs> get it over Chris Paul or get it over Tatum? Um, he probably should. Yeah. I mean, I guess it. <laughs> I mean, we're not going to get in, you know, into the reads of this conversation, but like evaluating the value of a player to a team, and then who is the most valuable? Yeah. How Tatum has led the Celtics to this juncture, based on where they started, is I think that's the sort of the crux of the argument. But um, look, we're we're, we're running super long here. I I want to wrap this up soon, Joe. So I'm going to combine my next like four questions into one. Who else or what else from, from the Celtics in this stretch has really stood out to you as being like a key component to, to this run and this turnaround? Pritchard. <laughs> Shooting. Yeah. Nice. I'm so Shooting. glad you led with that. <laughs> like, it's... Um, and like, playing a, off Tatum. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I've always... I've, I really hate it when people are like, oh, Tatum's... Oh, sorry, Pritchard's... He's, he can't defend. Man, I just feel like like I'm not that good of a basketball observer, but I know what I've watched when I've watched Pritchard. Yeah, he's small, but I always remember watching him last year and being like, man, that guy digs into the big man when he gets, like if, if he has to pick up the role man, like he gets into his shins. You know, the guy doesn't stop trying. He's an NBA caliber athlete. You know, it's just like, man, some people just, People just lob cliches, you know? This guy plays no defense. This guy's a lockdown defender. Like, the truth is just always somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. Um, so, just wanted to, you know, shout out Pritchard. I love seeing him lock up Clarkson, you know? And yeah. <laughs> if he catches, I don't know, DeAndre Ayton in the post, he's going to get eaten alive. Doesn't make him sure. a bad defender, you know? Um, yeah, anyway. Well, that's a failure on the defense as a whole that we didn't switch out that matchup at that point and he, and he got stranded against uh, Aiden, if that were to be the case. Right, um, right. And generally, we're pretty good at the old kick out, the kick out, what do they call it? The scram switch, X out. Scram switch, yeah. He does, yeah. Pritchard does die as most players do on the second screen. I think they call it a, a drag screen. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and Scal had a comment on the call against the, the Jazz where uh, he, he did fail to pursue... Uh, his man around the second screen as they kind of went around that that drag screen and, and dove into the paint. He did kind of die off in that pursuit, and, and Scal called him out on it. Um, much easier said than done to say, "Hey, just like keep running around that second screen and like keep keep marking your guy." But um, you know, an, an area um to focus on for for Pritchard, I guess. Um, but we're really nitpicking at that point. I think Pritchard's been great. Uh, Who else, Joe? Who else has stood out to you? Um. Well. I think that's it for real standouts. I feel like Grant Williams has kind of continued more or less a pace, you know? Sure. Um, I'm surprised you haven't brought up Marcus Smart because 
We have loved Marcus Smart unconditionally for the duration of this, the life of this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. But like, this is by far the best that he's ever played, and you know he's he's really drawn that out for a sizable um, sample size now, at least twenty games. There's a Reddit comment on the Jazz game by user eighteen JBJT. They say I completely forgot about Mike Conley's existence in the Jazz game. And that's because I haven't got the stat here, unfortunately, but I think basically whenever Mike Conley was guarded by Marcus Smart, uh, he did not score. Like he Smart held him to literally zero points in the game, yeah. which is amazing. And he's been doing that frequently. Yeah, no, no. Like um, I think it, it, it is Dan Greenberg who does the that tweet. Marcus Smart matched up with such and such for 12 positions. He scored zero points. He matched up with other such and such. He scored yeah. zero points. Friend of the him. show, Greeny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, old mate, Greeny. Uh, Greeny. <laughs> <laughs> um, How are you, mate? <laughs> mate. Um, now, yeah, with Smart, okay, this is kind of how I kind of see it. Like, I've always thought he was a point guard. Um, it's just another one of those things. People are like, oh, there's no playmakers on the Celtics. Like, uh, people have such narrow definitions sometimes mm. of, of players. It drives me up the wall. But, I mean, I've always seen Smart as a. Um, I've always seen him as a great – he's a great passer. He is. He's really creative. Um, I think what people are saying is that he doesn't, you know, necessarily get dribble penetration to, to, to score. But the guy gets into the paint, you know. He does. If he needs to – he knows how to use a pick to get in the paint. Um, I sort of – I guess what I'm trying to say is I sort of feel like Smart's living up to my expectations of him as a player. So maybe that's why he hasn't sort of stuck out to me so much, whereas Pritchard, this is kind of new. But like for, for Smart, he's sort of living up to living up to my expectations of him. I don't know. Like, is he he's exceeded yours? He has. I was always curious to see what he would look like as the primary point guard on this team or any team, um, and the way that he runs the offense. The way that he talks constantly, I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised if I think about like who Marcus Smart is and who we know him to be as a player and as a person. I shouldn't be surprised at how uh, active he is with communicating on both ends, but he really seems to be like an extension of the coaching staff. Like you can hear him even when the arena is loud and even when he's on the bench talking actively and like sort of conducting like some sort of basketball maestro um, and, and the fact that he's like sort of walking the talk there when he's out there, I just find it really impressive. I didn't, I just, and like, not only that, but the sort of the casual fanciness of some of his passes, like, I can't remember which game it was, but where Al Horford flared out to the corner as Smart was driving and he sort of behind the back, flipped it back to Horford who splashed uh, the three. Yeah, and- yeah, yeah. I know the one. Yeah. Like how there's a casual flair and a casual confidence to his game. Like he's not just executing, but he's doing it with ease as well and with few mistakes, which I think is the biggest surprise. We sort of, there was a love-hate relationship with, or like an acceptance of like, we love Smart, we love what he does, but with that comes a, a sort of an occasional wave of despair in the errors that he would make. And I've, I think he's really dialed that down a little bit, uh, but... As far as his defense, like I'm just talking about his playmaking now, but Kirk Goldsbury put out an article for ESPN today about using advanced metrics to determine the all defense teams for this season. Here's a little snippet for you, Joe. Boston allows just 1.05 points per possession, 
when Smart is involved in a switch, which is the best such number for any guard in the league this season. And and just sort of transitioning slightly, but Robert Williams obviously mentioned in the same article when it comes to um, all defense teams, 164 players have defended 500 shots as the closest defender this season. And Robert Williams is the only one who has held opponents to under 40% shooting. And that figure is especially remarkable considering that Robert Williams defends the point, the paint rather, the spot on the court where overall field goal percentage is typically the highest. Williams, however, has allowed the second lowest field goal percentage at the rim since January 1. So transition a little bit there from Smart to Time Lord, but you know, these two guys are one of five uh, both standout performers in this in this turnaround. So um yeah. uh, amazing to see. Yeah. Everyone's playing well. Everyone's playing well. That's the summary. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Great. Enjoy it. Can we get your tight five or or tight one on Jalen Brown? Because we've got to give him his flowers, right? Like he <laughs> he has been good, and he's probably been the player that collectively we've been the most critical of, you know, throughout the life of this podcast. Yeah. Um. He has stretches where he does hurt us. <laughs> In a way, I like like there was this uh against Utah. The stretch where um, uh, Tice had the block on Clarkson and Jalen came down and he threw it behind his back and he missed. Yeah, he was trying to hit. I think he was trying to hit Grant, maybe. Um, someone on the fast break, you know. And then he launched a couple of quick threes. Sometimes I think he hurts us looking for his offense a little too much. Um, but hey, <laughs> look, when he shoots, the ball goes in a lot. You know, he's not an intuitive <laughs> basketball player in the same way that Smart is, but um, he's he's effective, and um, and I I like seeing him aggressive. Um, he makes things happen for us when he's aggressive. So, am I saying him as aggressive as normal? Like, I guess I can't complain about him taking chances and making mistakes if I think he's ultimately like best served being aggressive. You know, sure. like that, that means he's going to make mistakes of commission, right? Yeah. So as long as he's doing that, I guess, look, we just have to, we, we have to accept it, you know? Um, yep. Yeah. I think with Jalen, like the thing that always amazes me, like, do you remember when he was a rookie and even a second year player? And yeah. Like I was just thinking about this the other day. Finishing around the rim was? Yeah. So bad. Um, and now he's, um, He's incredible. He's really good. Um, he definitely has a left hand. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And he's he's like post moves where he gets kind of he picks up his dribble and like that's not it for him in that possession and he's still on his pivot foot or off his pivot foot still has like a series of moves that he can go to. I mean, that's really impressive, especially like when you look at his rookie season and how he, far he's come in that sense. He has the Gordon Hayward um Jam on the brakes, go to the go to the fall away off a you know spin around, turn around, fall away yeah. off a, off a drive. Yeah, he has that yeah, down absolutely. He also one shot he has down really well is um he does a great job of staying loose when he absorbs contact. So he'll like absorb contact around about the elbow or a little bit before he stays on balance. That's the thing he's got over Tatum. Like he is a way better athlete than Tatum. Like. Mm-hmm. S- and and not in jumping and all the rest of it. He's just better balanced. Um, sure. Tatum's got other 
significant advantages over him. But ta- but Jalen's form of athleticism, Jalen is so balanced and he gets so low to the ground. There's something I love about watching him. Um, yeah, he he Jalen looks great when he does it. <laughs> yeah. So couple of quick questions to finish up here. I was going to ask you what potential matchups in the East playoffs scare you the most. I feel like we touched on that. We talked about the Nets and the Raptors. So who are the matchups that you're gunning for then? What, what's the pathway through to at least the Eastern Conference Finals for the Celtics? Oh, I want Chicago, man. I, Hell yeah. <laughs> I never thought it was real. I never thought it was real, man. Um, uh, Cleveland doesn't really worry me. I feel like we mm-hmm. should have handed our business against them. We 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 had like Miami at home. Doesn't really worry me, but they should be good. I don't know. Like, don't have a great feel for them. They've had so many guys out. You know. Sure. Um, in terms of whoever gets the eight, well, Brooklyn actually Brooklyn's actually doesn't matter. The play-ins are relevant because Brooklyn will win it, and they'll be playing against either the Cavs or the the or the Raptors for for seven. Um. So yeah, like I, I guess it'd have to be those two. That's where I'd I'd want to get, which kind of means three. The three seed is probably going to be about right. Yeah. Um. Although actually, Chicago's really close to um. Chicago's really close to um. Like they kind of pulled back. They're basically a half game ahead. I think now I have of um Cleveland Toronto. Yeah, they're slowly dropping their way down yeah. into potentially the play-in territory. So. I guess I guess we really want to look. Have that number one seed means that we probably won't play the Nets in the first round yep. because I'm sure. I think the Nets will qualify at seven. I think they would beat either. I think they would beat Toronto or um or Cleveland, uh, and and one of those games. Certainly, I think they'd beat Cleveland in the, in a playing game to put them into the seven seed. Um, and that would yeah, leave us leave us if we were the one seed playing the playing the eight, which should be the weaker of Toronto or or Cleveland. What unanswered questions are there about the Celtics? An example of that: one of the the doubts or questions around the seas was that they struggled against elite rim protection teams or like bigs that are really good rim protectors. Rudy Gobert and one game, but we we certainly proved that that doubt wrong in that game. What are the other remaining unanswered questions that you'd sort of like to see answered through the rest of the regular season or through the playoffs? You talked about Tatum necessarily not being able to be the guy on, on that team. What else? Zone has given us trouble in the past. Uh-huh. Um, I'd like to see how we go. I'd like to see us be tested against a bit of zone leading up. I think we're going to see a lot of it in the playoffs. You know Miami's going to zone up against us, you know, um, and that'll show... That'll be a real test of Tatum's growth as a decision maker. He's going to have to get off the ball and get back on it quickly to put pressure on that fence. I like to see Tatum at the nail a lot there. Tatum and Smart are the guys I'd I'd like at the nail there. Mm, Okay, it's going to be interesting to see. Mm. Before we wrap it up, any other points that you want to get to, Joe, that we haven't touched on yet? It's been a while since we've had you on. Any (laughs) any hot takes you want to fire off? Um. Shivers, it would have been good if we hadn't drafted Neesmith. <laughs> we drafted Sadiq Bay or Maxi. <laughs> oh, my God. Can't win them all. Right. Desmond Bain. Oh. <laughs> but- yeah, Danny didn't have a great, great run at the end there. But, oh, well. 
We did have Pritchard and Williams, that players. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the current team, almost all of them were drafted by Danny Ainge, with the exception of what Horford, um, Horford and then like some of the outside pieces. So you can't hit on them all. Yeah, Derek White. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's a good good call out though, and something that keeps me up uh, regularly, especially Desmond Bain. Joe, we're going to wrap it up there. Mate, so good to hang out and talk some sales yeah, with man. you. It's been a while. All the best, by the way, with your upcoming nuptials. And uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. I might uh, I might need to uh, reach out to the boys, get some advice, some pre-wedding advice, you know. <laughs> Maybe. I can give you plenty of post-wedding advice, but uh, pre-wedding, <laughs> it's, it's been a while. <laughs> hey, uh, looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Yeah, man. All the best. All right, folks. That'll do it for this one. Thank you for listening. We'll be back sometime after the Celtics upcoming back-to-back. Until then, go Celtics. Peace. Peace.